Chapter Six, Part Two, of the Night Operator by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night Operator, Chapter Six: The Age Limit, Part Two. It made a mess, a nasty mess, from the standpoint of traffic, as nasty a mess as the Hill Division had ever faced. The rear of the freight went to Matchwood, the 1608, the baggage, and two Pullmans turned turtle, derailing the remaining cars behind, but by a miracle, it seemed, there wasn't anyone seriously hurt. Scared, yes, pretty badly. The directors, a shaken white-lipped crowd, poured out of the observation car to the trackside. There was no cigar in H. Harrington Campbell's mouth. It was dark by then but the wreckage caught fire and flung a yellow glow far across the canyon, and in a shadowy way lighted up the immediate surroundings. Train crews and engine crews of both trains hurried here and there. Torches and lanterns began to splutter and wink. Hoarse shouts began to echo back and forth, adding their quota to a weird medley of escaping steam and crackling flame. Regan, from a hasty consultation with old Dan McCaffery and old Pete Chartrand, that sent the two men on the jump to carry out his orders, turned to face H. Harrington Campbell. "'Nobody hurt, sir, thank God,' puffed the fat little master mechanic, in honest relief. H. Harrington Campbell's eyes were on the retreating forms of the engineer and conductor. Oh, "'Indeed,' he said coldly. But "'The whole affair is hardly worth mentioning, I take it. Quite a common occurrence.' "'You've got some pretty old men handling your trains out here, haven't you?' Regan's face went hard. "'They're pretty good men,' he said shortly. "'And there's no blame coming to them for this, Mr. Campbell, if that's what you mean.' H. Harrington Campbell's fingers went tentatively to his vest pocket for a cigar, extracted the broken remains of one, the relic of his own collision with the back of a car seat where the smash had hurled him, and threw it away with an icy smile. "'Blame,' expostulated H. Harrington Campbell, ironically. "'I don't want to blame anyone. "'I'm looking for someone to congratulate. "'On the worst-run division and the most pitiful exemplification "'of near-railroading I've had any experience with in twenty years, Mr. Regan.' "'For a full minute Regan did not speak. "'He couldn't.' And then the words came away with a roar from the bluff little master mechanic. By glory, he exploded. We don't take that kind of talk out here even from general managers. We don't have to. That's straight enough, ain't it? Well, I'll give you some more of it. Now I've started. I don't like you. I don't like that pained look on your face. I've been filling up on you all morning, and you don't digest well. We don't stand for anything as raw as that from any man on earth. And you needn't hunt around for any greased words, as far as I'm concerned, to do your firing with. You can have my resignation as master mechanic of the worst-run division you've seen in twenty years right now, if you want it, hmm? H. Harrington Campbell was gallingly preoccupied. How long are we stalled here for? The rest of the night? He inquired irrelevantly. Regan stared at him a moment, still apoplectic. "'I've ordered them to run the forward end of the freight to Eagle Pass and take you down,' he said, choking a little. "'There's a couple of flats left whole that you can pile yourselves and your baggage on, and down there they'll make up a new train for you.' "'Oh, very good,' said H. Harrington Campbell, curtly. 
and ten minutes later the director special, metamorphosized into a string of boxcars with two flats trailing on the rear, on which the newly elected board of the transcontinental sat, some on their baggage and some with their legs hanging over the sides, pulled away from the wreck and headed down the grade for Eagle Pass. Funny, the transition from the luxurious leather upholstery of the observation to an angry, chattering mob of magnates, clinging to each other's necks as they jounced on the flooring of an old flat? Well, perhaps. It depends on how you look at it. Regan looked at it, and Regan grinned for the pure savagery that was in him. But I guess, said Regan to himself as he watched them go, I guess maybe I'll be looking for that job on the pen after all, hmm? Everybody talked about the director's special run, naturally. And, naturally, everybody wondered what was going to come from it. It was an open secret that Regan had handed one to the general manager without any candy coating on the pill, and the Hill Division sort of looked to see the master mechanic's head fall and Regan go. But Regan did not go, and, for that matter, nothing else happened. For a while, Carleton came back and got the rights of it from Regan, and said nothing to Regan about his reply to H. Harrington Campbell's letter, in which he had stated that if they were looking for a new master mechanic there would be a division superintendency vacant at the same time. The day man at Mitre Peak quit railroading, without waiting for an investigation. Old Dan McCaffrey and Billy Dawes went back to their regular run with the 304, and the division generally settled down again to its daily routine and from the perspective of distance, if the truth be told, got to grinning reminiscently at the run the big bugs had had for their money. Only the grin came too soon. A week or so passed, payday came and went, and the day after that a general order from the east hit the Hill Division like a landslide. Carleton slit the innocent-looking official Manila open with his paper knife, chucked the envelope in the waste-basket, read the communication, read it again with gathering brows, and sent for Regan. He handed the form to the master mechanic without a word as the latter entered the office. Regan read it, read it again as his chief had, and two hectic spots grew bright on his cheeks. It was brief, curt, cold. For the good of the service, safety, and operating efficiency, it stated, in a word, on and after the first of the month, the services of employees over the age of sixty years would no longer be required. Those were early days in railroading, not a word about pensions, not a word about half-pay, just sixty years and out. The paper crackled in Regan's clenched fists. Carleton was beating a tattoo on his teeth with the mouthpiece of his pipe. There wasn't another sound in the office for a moment. Then Regan spoke, and his voice broke a little. "'It's a damned shame,' he said through his teeth. "'It's that skunk Campbell.' "'How many men does it affect?' asked Carleton, looking through the window. "'I don't know,' said the little master mechanic bitterly. "'But I know one that it'll hit harder than all the rest put together, and that's old Dan McCaffrey.' There was hurt in the super's gray eyes as he looked at the big-hearted little master mechanic's working face. "'I was thinking of old Dan myself,' he said in his low, quiet way. 
he hasn't a cent stormed regan not a cent not a thing on earth to fall back on think of it him and that little old missus of his god bless her sweet old face that have been scrimping all these years to pay back what that blasted kid robbed out of the bank it ain't right carleton it ain't right it's hell that's what it is sixty years there ain't a better man ever pulled a latch in a cab there ain't a better one pulling one anywhere to-day than old dan mccaffery and and i kind of feel as though i were to blame for this in a way to blame repeated carleton i put him on that run and riley put old pete chartrand on kind of stuck them under Campbell's nose, the two of them together, the two oldest men, and the blamedest luck that ever happened on a run, hmm? Carleton shook his head. I don't think it would have made any difference in the long run, Tommy. I told you there'd be changes as soon as the new board got settled in the saddle. Regan tugged viciously at his scraggly brown mustache. Maybe, he growled fiercely. But Campbell's seen old Dan now, or I'd put one over on that pup, I would. There ain't any birth register that I ever heard of out in the mountains, and if Dan said he was fifty, I'd take his word for it. Dan wouldn't say that, said Carleton quietly. Not even to hold his job. No, of course he wouldn't, spluttered the fat little master mechanic, belligerently inconsistent, who said he would. And anyway, it wouldn't do any good. Campbell asked him his age, and Dan told him, and, uh, oh, what's the use? I know it. I know I'm only talking, Carlton. Neither of them said anything for a minute. Then Regan, pacing up and down the room, spoke again. It's a clean sweep, huh? Twain crews, engine crews, everything. There ain't any other job for him. Over sixty is out everywhere. A white man, one of the whitest. Regan sort of said it to himself. Old Dan McCaffery, who's to tell him? Carleton drew a match with a long crackling noise under the arm of his chair. Me, said Regan, and his voice broke again. He stopped before the desk and, leaning over, stretched out his arm impulsively across it. I'd rather have that arm cut off than tell him, Carleton, he said huskily. I don't know what he'll say. I don't know what he'll do. But I know it'll break his heart, and break Mrs. McCaffrey's heart, Carleton. He took another turn the length of the room and back again. But I guess it had better be me, said the little master mechanic more to himself than to Carleton. I guess it had... Oh, I hate to think of his getting it so it would hurt any more than it had to. Hmm? And so Tommy Regan told old Dan McCaffrey that afternoon, the day after payday, Regan didn't mean to exactly, not then, he was kind of putting it off, as it were, until next day, and, and fretting himself sick over it. But that afternoon old Dan, on his way down to the roundhouse, Dan took out the regular passenger local that left Big Cloud at 6.55 every evening, and to spend an hour ahead of running time with the 304 was as much a habit with Dan as breathing was, hunted Regan up in the latter's office just before the six o'clock whistle blew. For an instant Regan thought the engineer had somehow or other already heard the news, but a glance at Dan's face dispelled that idea as quickly as it had come. Dan was always smiling, but there was a smile on the wizened, puckered, honest old face now that seemed to bubble out all over it. Regan, 
said old Dan, bursting with happy excitement. I just had to drop in and tell you on the way over to the roundhouse, and the missus, she says, you tell Mr. Regan, Dan, he'll be right down glad. Regan got up out of his chair. There seemed a sense of disaster coming somehow that set him to breathing heavily. Sure, Dan, sure, he said weakly. What is it? Well, said Dan, you know that that trouble the boy got into back, uh, back. Yes, I know said Regan hastily. Well, said Dan, taken a long time, a good many years, but yesterday, you know, was payday. And today, Regan, we, the missus and me, Regan, sent the last of that money east. Interest and all, the last cent of it cleaned it all up. <laughs> Say, Regan, I feel like I was walking on air. And you'd like to have seen the missus sitting up there in the cottage and smiling through her tears. <laughs> oh, Dan, she says, and then she gets up and, and puts her two hands on my shoulders, and I, I felt blame near like <laughs> crying myself. We can start in now, Dan, to save up for old age, she says, smiling. <laughs> Say, Regan, ain't it, ain't it fine? We're going to start in now and save up for old age. Regan didn't say a word. Came with a rush, choking him up in his throat and something misty in front of his eyes so he couldn't see, and he turned his back, searching for his hat on the peg behind his desk. He jammed his hat on his head and jerked it low down over his forehead. Ain't, ain't you glad? said old Dan, and sort of puzzled hurt in his eyes. I'll walk a bit of the way to the roundhouse with you, Dan, said Regan gruffly. Come on. They stepped out of the shops and across a spur, old Dan, still puzzled, striding along beside the master mechanic. What, "'What's the matter, Regan?' he asked reproachfully. "'I thought you'd be—' And then Regan stopped, and his hand fell in a tight grip on the other's shoulder. "'I got to tell you, Dan,' he blurted out, "'but I don't need to tell you what I think of it. It's a damned shame.' The new crowd that's running this road don't want anybody helping them to do it after the first of the month that's over sixty years of age. You're—you're you're out. Old Dan didn't seem to get it for a minute. Then a whiteness kind of crept around his lips and his eyes. From Regan seemed to circuit in a queer, wistful way about the yards, and fix finally on the roundhouse in front of him. And then he lifted his peaked cap in the way he had of doing and scratched near his ear where the hair was. He hit Regan pretty hard with what he said. Regan, he said, there's two weeks yet to the end of the month. Don't tell her, Regan, and, and don't you let the boys tell her. There's two weeks she don't need to worry. I'd kind of like to have her have them two weeks. Regan nodded. There weren't any words that would come, and he couldn't have spoken them if there had. Yes, said old Dan, kind of whispering to himself. I'd kind of like to have her have them two weeks. Regan cleared his throat, pulled at his mustache, swore under his breath, and cleared his throat again. What'll you do, Dan, afterwards? Old Dan straightened up, looked at Regan, and smiled. "'I don't know,' he said, shaking his head and smiling. "'I don't know. But it'll be all right. We'll get along somehow.' His eyes shifted to the roundhouse again. "'I guess i better be getting over to the 304,' he said, and turned abruptly away. 
Regan watched him go, watched the overalled figure with a slight shoulder stoop cross the turntable, watched until the other disappeared inside the roundhouse doors, and then he turned and walked slowly across the tracks and uptown toward his boarding house. Don't tell her. The words kept reiterating themselves insistently. Don't let the boys tell her. I guess they won't, said Regan, muttering fiercely to himself. I guess they won't. Nor did they. The division and Big Cloud kept the secret for those two weeks, and they kept it for long after that. The little old lady in the lace cap never knew. They ranked her high, those pioneering womenkind of hers in that little mountain town, those rough-and-ready toilers who had been her husband's mates. She never knew. But everybody else knew, and they watched old Dan as the days went by, watched him somehow with a tight feeling in their throats and kept aloof a little, because they didn't know what to say, kept aloof a little awkwardly, as it were. Not that there seemed much of any difference in the old engineer, it was more as something that they sensed. Old Dan came down to the roundhouse in the late afternoon, an hour before train time, just as he always did, puttered and oiled around and coddled the 304 for an hour, just as he always did, just as though he was always going to do it. Took his train out, came back on the early morning run, backed the 304 into the roundhouse, and trudged up Main Street to where it began to straggle into the buttes, to where his cottage and the little old lady were, just as he always did. And the little old lady, with the debt paid, went about the town for those two weeks happier-looking, younger-looking than Big Cloud had ever seen her before. That was all. But Regan, worrying, pulling at his mustache, put it up to little Billy Dawes, old Dan's fireman, one day in the roundhouse near the end of the two weeks. "'How's Dan take it in the cab, Billy?' he asked. The little fireman rolled the hunk of greasy waste in his hands and swabbed at his fingers with it for a moment before he answered. Then he sent a stream of blackstrap juice viciously into the pit and with a savage jerk hurled the hunk of waste after it. "'By God!' he said fiercely. Regan blinked and waited. "'Just the same as ever he was,' said Billy Dawes, huskily, after a silence. "'Just the same, when he thinks you're not looking.' I've seen him sometimes when he didn't know I was looking. Regan said, <clears throat> kind of coughed it out, reached for his plug as was usual with him in times of stress, bit into it deeply, sputtered something hurriedly about new piston rings for the left-hand head, and muttering to himself left the roundhouse. And that night old Dan McCaffrey took out the 304 and the local passenger for the run west and the run back east, just as he always did, and the next night, and for two nights after that, he did the same. Came then the night of the 31st. It was the fall of the year, and the dusk fell early, and by a little after six, with the oil lamps lighted, that at best only filtered spasmodic yellow streaks of gloom about the roundhouse, the engines back on the pits were beginning to loom up through the murk in big, grotesque, shadowy shapes, as Regan, crossing the turntable, paused for a moment hesitantly. Why he was there, he didn't know. He hadn't meant to be there. He was just a little early for his nightly game of Pedro with Carleton over in the super's office. It wasn't much more than half-past six, so he had had some time to put in. That must be about the size of it. He hadn't meant to come. There wasn't any use in it. 
No, none at all, not nothing he could do. Better, in fact, if he stayed away. Only he had left the boarding-house early, and he was down there now, standing on the turntable, and it was old Dan's last run. I guess, mumbled Regan, uh, I'll go back over to the station. Carlton will be along in a few minutes. I guess I will. Hmm? Only Regan didn't. He started on again slowly over the turntable and entered the roundhouse. There wasn't anybody in sight around the pit on which the 304 stood, nobody puttering over the links and motion gear, poking here and there solicitously with a long-spouted oil can, as he had half, more than half, expected to find old Dan doing. But he heard someone moving about in the cab and caught the flare of a torch. Regan walked down the length of the engine and peered into the cab. It was Billy Dawes. "'Where's Dan, Billy? Ain't he about?' inquired Regan. The fireman came out into the gangway. "'Yes,' he answered. "'He's down there back of the tender by the fitter's benches. He's looking for some washers he said he wanted for a loose stud-nut. I'll get him for you.' "'No, never mind,' said Regan. "'I'll find him.' It was pretty dark at the rear of the roundhouse in the narrow space between the engine tenders on the various pits and the row of work-benches that flanked the wall, and for a moment, as Regan reached the end of the 304's tender, he could not see anyone, and then he stopped short as he made out old Dan's form down on the floor by the end bench as though he were groping for something underneath it. For a minute, two perhaps, Regan stood there motionless, watching old Dan McCaffrey. Then he drew back, tiptoed softly away, went out through the engine doors, and as he crossed the tracks to the station platform, brushed his hand hurriedly across his eyes. Regan didn't play much of a game of Pedro that night. His heart wasn't in it. Carlton had barely dealt the first hand when Regan heard the 304 backing down and coupling on the local, and he got up from his chair and walked out to the window and stood there watching until the local pulled out. Carlton didn't say anything, just dealt the cards over again and began once more as Regan resumed his seat. An hour passed. Regan, fidgety and nervous, played in a desultory fashion, Carlton disturbed, patiently correcting the master mechanic's mistakes. The game was a farce. "'What's the matter, Tommy?' asked Carlton gravely, as Regan made a misdeal twice in succession. "'Nothing,' said Regan shortly. "'Go on, play. It's your bid.' Carlton shook his head. "'You're taking it too much to heart, Tommy,' he said. "'It won't do you any good, either of you.' You or Dan, he'll pull out of it somehow. You'll see. There was a queer look on Regan's face as he stared for an instant at Carlton across the table, and he opened his lips as though to say something, and closed them again in a hard line instead. Carlton bid. It's yours, said Regan. Carlton led, and then Regan, with a sweep of his hand, shot his cards into the center of the table. It's no good, he said gruffly, getting up. I can't play the blamed game tonight i he stopped suddenly and turned his head as a chair scraped sharply in the dispatcher's room next door a step sounded in the hall the super's door flung open and spence put in his head one glance at the dispatcher and carlton was on his feet what's the matter spence he asked quick and hard regan hadn't moved but Regan spoke now, answering the question that was addressed to the dispatcher, and answering it in a strangely assertive, absolute, irrefutable way. "'The local,' he said. 
Number 47. Dan McCaffrey's dead. Both men stared at him in amazement, and Spence sort of unconsciously nodded his head. Yes, said Spence, still staring at Regan. There was some sort of engine trouble just west of Big Eddie in the Beaver Canyon. I haven't got the rights of it yet, only that somehow McCaffrey got his engine stopped just in, just in time to keep the train from going over the bridge embankment and, and went out doing it. There's no one else hurt. Dawes, the fireman, and Conductor Neal walked back to Big Eddie. I got them on the wire now. Come into the room. Regan stepped to the door mechanically, and with Carleton behind him, followed Spence into the dispatcher's room. There Carleton, tight-lipped, leaned against the table. Regan, his face like stone, took his place at Spence's elbow as the dispatcher dropped into his chair. There wasn't a sound in the room for a moment save the clicking of the sender in a quick tattoo under Spence's fingers. Then Spence picked up a pencil and began scribbling the message on a pad as the sounder spoke. Billy Dawes was dictating his story to the Big Eddie operator. It was just west of Big Eddie, just before you get to the curve at the approach to the Beaver Bridge, came Dawes's story. And we were hitting up a fast clip, but no more than usual when we got a jolt in the cab that spilled me into the coal and knocked Dan off his seat. It all came so quick there wasn't any time to think, but I knew we'd shed a driver on Dan's side, and the rod was cutting the side of the cab like a knife through cheese. I heard Dan shout something about the train going over the embankment and into the river if we ever hit the beaver curve, and then he jumped for the throttle in the air. There wasn't a chance in a million for him, but it was the only chance for every last one of the rest of us. He made it somehow. I don't know how. It's all a blur to me. He checked her, and then the rod caught him, and... The sounder broke, almost with a human sob in it, it seemed, and then went on again. We stopped just as the 304 turned turtle. None of the coaches left the rails. That's all. Regan spoke through dry lips. Ask him what Dan was like in the cab tonight, he said hoarsely. Spence looked up and around at the master mechanic as though he had not heard her right. Ask him what I say, repeated Regan shortly. What was Dan like in the cab tonight? Spence bent over his key again. There was a pause before the answer came. He says he hadn't seen Dan so cheerful for months, said Spence presently. Regan nodded, kind of curiously, kind of as though it were the answer he expected, and then he nodded at Carleton, and the two went back to the super's room. Regan closed the door behind him. Carleton dropped into his chair, his gray eyes hard and full of pain. "'I don't understand it, Tommy,' he said heavily. "'It's almost as though you knew it was going to happen.' Regan came across the floor and stood in front of the desk. I did, he said in a low way. I think I was almost certain of it. Carleton pulled himself forward with a jerk in his chair. Do you know what you're saying, Tommy? he asked sharply. I'll tell you, Regan said in the same low way. I went over to the roundhouse tonight before Dan took the 304 out. I didn't see Dan anywhere about, and I asked Dawes where he was. Dawes said he'd gone back to the fitter's benches to look for some washers. I walked on past the tender, and I found him there, down on the floor on his knees by one of the benches. But he wasn't looking for any washers. He was praying. 
With a sharp exclamation, Carlton pushed back his chair and, standing, leaned over the desk toward Regan. Regan swallowed a lump in his throat and shook his head. "'He didn't see me,' he said brokenly. "'He didn't know I was there. He was praying aloud. I heard what he said. It's been ringing in my head all night, word for word, while I was trying to play with those.' He jerked his hand toward the scattered cards on the desk between them. "'I can hear him saying it now. It's the queerest prayer I ever heard, and I guess he prayed the way he lived, as though he was kind of uh, intimate with God.' "'Yes?' prompted Carlton softly, as Regan paused. Regan turned his head away, and his eyes filled suddenly, and his voice was choked. "'What he said was this.' just as though he was talking to, to you or me. You know how it is, God. I wouldn't take that way myself unless you fixed it up for me, because it wouldn't be right unless you did it. But I hope, God, you'll think that's the best way out of it. You see, there ain't anything left as it is, but if we fixed it up that way, there'd be the fraternal insurance to take care of the missus, and she wouldn't never know. And then, you see, God, I guess my work is all done, and I'd kind of like to quit while I was still on the payroll. I'd kind of like to finish that way, and tonight's the last chance. You understand, God, don't you? Regan's lips were quivering as he stopped. There was silence for a moment, and Carlton looked up from the blotter on his desk. Tommy he said in his big, quiet way as his hand touched Regan's sleeve. Tell me why you didn't stop him then from going out tonight. Regan didn't answer at once. He went over to the window and stared out at the twinkling switch lights in the yards below. He was still staring out of the window as he spoke. He didn't put it up to me, said Regan. He put it up to God. End of chapter 6